Last week, we covered some of the FMC, the Federal Maritime Commission's, rulemaking updates and commissioner initiatives. And we were just coming back from summer break. <laughs> uh, but today, let's talk about the industry movement towards electronic trade documents, namely electronic bills of lading. Did you catch the major development that happened just this week relating to electronic document acceptance? If not, you're in the right spot. Stick around. We'll talk about it. Hi, welcome to By Land and By Sea, an attorney breaking down the week in supply chain, presented by the Maritime Professor. That's me. I'm Lauren Began, founder of the Maritime Professor and Squall Strategies, and I'm your favorite maritime attorney. Join me every week as we walk through both ocean transport and surface transport topics in the wild world of supply chain. As always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes only. It should not be construed to be legal advice. And there is no attorney-client privilege created by this video. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. So before we get into the discussion of the day, though, let's go through my top three stories of the week. <laughs> All right, story number one. So last week, we did cover the FMC rulemakings from the standpoint of what we knew coming out of the summer break, based on the comment periods and some reading between the lines. But this week, the Federal Maritime Commission had their commission meeting. And we learned just what the FMC was up to with respect to these rulemakings, and we gained crystal clear clarity on timeliness and next steps. Well, that's what I thought we were going to gain. <laughs> we didn't quite. Look, it's not a secret that I'm actually very supportive of the FMC. Good work deserves good praise. I think they've been doing great work over the past few years, and really for longer than that. But I don't want to say I'm frustrated, because I'm not entirely frustrated, but I guess I'm just impatiently waiting, right, for these rules. There's a little clarity in these rules. There is clarity in these rules that the industry is waiting for, and it's important to get it right, but it's also important to get it, period, right? So we're a year past OSRA 22's enactment, and all three rules were supposed to be completed by now under OSRA, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act 22, under the, the, the directives. Yes, it was a tall order. Yes, it's a lot of work. But we have had at least one rule that we haven't seen any language on. And at yesterday's commission meeting, we didn't really get a lot of clarity on what's taking so long, or more importantly, a clear path forward on when we'll be getting next steps um, and, and what the plan is to keep the pressure on to get these things done. I'm sure the pressure is being felt within the, Fe the Federal Maritime Commission's walls. But as an onlooker on the outside, I don't know. Let's just talk. Let's dive into it. Right. So as a reminder, what are the three rules that we're watching? We're waiting on. We're waiting on number one, defining unreasonable refusal to deal or negotiate with respect to vessel space accommodations provided by an ocean common carrier. So this one is the supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking. We covered that right before the break. I believe it was in July. We went into detail on what was happening in that supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking. So that's had some movement recently. The other rule that we're looking for is the billing practices of detention and demerge. That's the rule that I thought I was certain we were going to see text, final text on yesterday, sometime, either right before or right after the Federal Maritime Commission meeting. We didn't see that. We I haven't seen it yet today. 
So so we were, we're waiting on that. That the commons closed last December, December 16th, I believe it was, potentially even the 13th. Um, and they had all, almost 200 comments, 180 something comments. They've received some late co- late filed comments on that, but I mean, we're beyond six months waiting on that one. So I don't know. So so we're waiting on that. And then the third rule is defining unfair and just the discriminatory methods. We have not seen any language, a little bit of conversation here and there about that rule, but that's the third of the three substantive rules that the FMC was directed to undertake under the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2022 by Congress. So we did get a little bit of an update. Look, I'll bite. I'm a little sat- unsatisfied with the depth of the update, but we did get a little update. I want to be totally fair. So with the detention and demurrage rulemaking, they said that they're still reviewing comments and they've had substantive comments have come in within the past month. Okay, I can appreciate that. But I thought that we were getting a final rule. And so if they're still receiving comments, is there more discussion to be had? Is there potentially a, a rationale for having a supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking on this one. I mean, it's it's been a while, right? I mean, they're, they're, certainly they have to go through a lot of comments. This one they want to get right. But the industry is also waiting for this administrative clarity that will come with a billing practices, detention and demurrage rulemaking. All right. So we didn't get that's all. That's pretty much the the update was they're still reviewing comments and they received steps and comments within the past month. Um, So this is September. Like I said, comments closed on this in December. I like that the FMC accepts late filed comments, but we also need forward movement. Right. So I I don't want to be too hard. Right. I I trust that they are working very hard. It is a lean agency. And I say lean as a nice way of saying they're still beefing up their their employee numbers, and so they are running full steam over over capacity with the work that they have for the amount of people that they have. So I totally appreciate that, but it's I, I'm I'm impatiently waiting, right? I think is what I said. Unreasonable refusal to deal. So they said they're in the process of reviewing comments and drafting a proposed final rule for consideration and vote. Okay, so that's great to know. So this is the supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking. This. The supplemental notice to propose rulemaking on this one closed July 31st. So really, this hasn't been that long. Um, this one is continuing to move forward. And this is the one that I believe it was Chairman Maffei said that this one is tricky to get right and that it's important to get right. Uh, obviously, they're all important to get right. But this one has some nuances that are important to make sure you don't have unintended consequences. And I appreciate him saying that this was kind of a tricky one to get right. So still moving forward on that. The third one that we're waiting on is this unfair, unjust, the discriminatory methods in the context of 41103. And it was defining unfair, unjustly discriminatory methods. And so this one, it was reported that they are finalizing a proposed rule, but that they addressed part of this, at least in the supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking. Okay. And so what they're doing is, is finalizing a proposed rule for the remaining sections of the OSRA requirement for the commission's consideration and vote. It's kind of all they said there. This one was supposed to be finished by June 16th, 2023. One year, all three of them were supposed to be fully finished within one year. And actually the unreasonable refusal to deal and negotiate was supposed to be finished after six months. I appreciate the extended period of time, but the unfair or unjustly discriminatory methods really hasn't had a lot of conversation around it. And I guess I'm just looking for a, why is this one taking so long? Or, what are you thinking about here? 
Look, like I said, I'm kind of giving a pass to the supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking, the unreasonable refusal to deal because the SNPRM comment period just closed in July. But the other ones, I'm just waiting on something, right? Um, look, yes, it's a tricky one, especially the unfair and just the discriminatory methods. But perhaps sending out an advance notice of proposed rulemaking is the way to go if this one's so tricky that it's kind of stagnating, stalemating. What's the word I'm looking for here? <laughs> if, if it's slowing things down, maybe we need to take a step back and have an advance notice and put some questions out into the industry. I've broken down kind of what the different rulemaking stages are previously. But again, the advance notice of proposed rulemaking is usually when an agency, and this is how the FMC has typically done it, has some ideas over what they want to cover in the rulemaking, but they're looking for direct in, in, uh, input from the industry. But in kind of a, a, they don't have the text fully put together. They do have some ideas. They have some thoughts. And they put that out in an advance notice of proposed rulemaking. Maybe that's where we should start on this one if, if we're kind of stalling out in getting text out on this. Um, again, I'm talking about the unfair, unjust, discriminatory methods. Maybe let's just put some questions out into the industry, but we haven't seen anything. And for the detention and demurrage, look, the industry wants the clarity, right? They want the 13 invoice requirements reviewed and refined, as was directed by OSRA, if, if needed, if they need reviewing or refining. Uh, remember, OSRA 22 put out 13 invoice requirements that were, I mean, they went into effect right away. Uh, they want the interpretive rule reviewed, as was directed by OSRA, and actually reminded in the commission hearing yesterday uh, of this directive by Commissioner Dye. Uh, she she said, let's look at the interpretive rule as OSRA told us to do. And they also want, the industry also wants the billing information requirements of the detention and demerge rulemaking, right? We can't let case law determine, the, we, we can continue, we can let case law determine the finer points of the specific instances, but as we all know, the case law takes a while. What this rule, or at least I saw this rule as being able to do, this detention and demerge billing rulemaking, is having the administrative cleanup. This exercise will provide the administrative cleanup that the industry wanted after the the disruption that was COVID-19 and all the congestion that came along with it and all of the uncertainty that went along with the detention and demerge billing practices and detention and demerge generally. It wasn't necessarily... We just didn't have the parameters around it, the administrative parameters around it that we now do. Perhaps it was just making different judgment calls. And this rule, I believe, will help fine tune some of those judgment calls instead of saying, well, you can use detention to merge for this or can't use it for that. This rule helps to start putting some parameters around there. Look, stay tuned to By Land and By Sea. I'm obviously going to be staying on Rulemaking Watch, and I'll let you know what develops. I don't want to be too critical, but I do want to light a little bit of a fire if anybody's listening from the FMC. <laughs> uh, just because I'm I'm so interested in that third rulemaking, the unjustly or un unfair, unjustly discriminatory methods, or what's going on or what's taking so long. Um, there's a lot on everybody's plate, I'm sure. I know. I know there is. So I'll I'll lay off for now, but I'm, but I'm just excited to see the language there. And I, I'd love to see the detention to merge finished up, which I'm sure you would too. <laughs> All right. Story number two. So during the FMC meeting yesterday, we also got an update on charge complaints from the FMC by the numbers, which is great. I always love the numbers of, of listening to the charge complaints. So 
Again, this is charge complaints was a creation under the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2022. This is the interim process. This is kind of what was created right off the bat. There will be a final process that will ultimately go out for a rulemaking, the whole process, the comment period, the notice and comment, everything. Uh, but right now, this is their interim process that continues to be pretty successful. And the numbers are showing that. So what they're saying is, so shippers can submit complaints of charges they believe to be unreasonable. And I, I want to just note that this is exactly what they said. Shippers submit complaints of charges they believe to be unreasonable. They didn't say detention and demerge charges specifically. And Chairman Maffei has once previously mentioned general thoughts about maybe these charges don't need to be targeted to detention and demerge as it was almost felt like it was implied to be, but perhaps charges that complainants think are inappropriate. Um, but there hasn't been a lot of clarity there. I think a finalized process, once they get out of the interim process and moved into a full rulemaking review of charge complaints process, maybe that'll come up then. Uh, but something to, to consider. So under the charge complaints process, since the enactment, the FMC has fielded 402 charge complaints. They have had 167 meet the baseline threshold. So that's less than half of the charge complaints filed have met the baseline threshold. And so what are some of those ways that they, they don't meet the threshold? Well, maybe they weren't opened. Maybe they were opened on, on um, complaints that were prior to the Ocean Shipping Reform Act implementation. So that was June 16, 2022. Anything of a charge complaint can't predate that June 16, 2022. Some of the submissions the FMC said were actually just incomplete and not continued to be completed. And so one thing that the FMC was saying is that they will actually help those complainants that are filing these charge complaints to help figure out what, what might be missing to try to cure uh, their charge complaint. But of the 167, 104 of those were voluntarily resolved by the carrier through a refund or a waiver. 43 of those were fully completed. So 36 determined evidence didn't support. Um, oh, of the 43 <laughs> completed, 36 determined evidence didn't support the shipper's claim. And 20 cases are currently under investigation. So where complainants are not voluntarily resolved, the Office of Enforcement, which used to be the Bureau of Enforcement, is now the Office of Enforcement, will or could, I say will, could pursue an order of order to show cause. So seven cases of all of those 402 ultimately that were initially um, brought to the FMC, seven cases were referred to the Office of Enforcement. Six of those referred cases were refunded. They were just um, taken off the uh, – they were, they were solved, so to speak. Um, and then one was actually moved over into an order to show cause, and the proceeding is ongoing. That's something that that they said. So it's it's still continuing on, and this is a new area, right? Charge complaint process was created under Azra. We haven't seen this played out before, and so now it goes into the order sh to show cause, which goes under just normal um, process of the Office of Enforcement and how they normally go through with an order to show cause. So the FMC said that the charge complaints process, voluntary waivers and refunds actually total $1.7 million so far. So that's money that was initially invoiced to whoever's bringing the charge complaint that now is either refunded or waived. So one thing that they did mention in this presentation was that the experience from this interim procedure 
will eventually guide the permanent procedure. And they will be doing a formal rulemaking. Um, and they're hoping that actually even just later this year, we'll have more information about that. Like I said at the outset, we have three rulemakings that are currently pending at the FMC. So to add another rulemaking certainly is going to be taxing on not only the Office of the General Counsel, but certainly whoever, whatever office is going to be the original drafter there, which may be OGC. But that's encouraging to know that this will be turned into because this has been a pretty successful interim process. So to turn this into a formal final rulemaking is also going to be great. So they reiterated how to engage charge complaints process, how to how to get into this process. So you have to identify the common carrier. You have to identify the specific alleged OSRA violation or the Shipping Act violation of 41102 or 41104A. Go look those up. Gather documentation, confirm that the disputed charge was on or after the ASRA 22 implementation date. That's that June 16th, 2022. And then you submit all your materials to charge complaints at fmc.gov. They have a dedicated email to receive all of this. What they said, and this is kind of the interesting side, you'll receive an acknowledgement within two days after submitting all your information. Uh, Reviews of charge complaints can take up to 30 days and any rejected submissions can be explained by the FMC, and that's what I was kind of stumbling over earlier. The FMC is helping these charge complaints filers to figure it out if they missed something, if they didn't identify the violation of the Shipping Act under those two sections. Um, They will also say if charge complaint process isn't suitable for dispute, the FMC will also advise other options available to shippers. They're not going to be telling them which is better or worse, but they are going to be saying, look, we're the FMC. We have all these other options for you to get some dispute resolution through the FMC. Charge complaints is just a quick and fast version. That was what it was intended for. But the FMC still has the whole host of dispute resolution mechanisms that they've always had. So there were a few questions, and one was interesting. Um, Commissioner Dye had a question and basically said that all carriers and and reiterated the fact that all carriers are actually supposed to have dispute resolution mechanisms now. And the managing director said that everybody's always encouraged to try and work things out first together and that there's many resources and mechanisms at the FMC for dispute resolution, kind of reiterating that there's other tools that the FMC has. But she said that they should, in general, try to work it out first um, or or it's encouraged to try to work things out first, um, but that there are these dispute resolution mechanisms should the general negotiations not work out. So there was also an update on CATERS, the Consumer Affairs and Dispute Resolution Services, and their successes also by the numbers and a few big wins. So Director Zariah De La Cruz highlighted one case where she was actually saying that an importer was unable to secure an appointment for the return of reefer containers, and the VOCC invoiced over 100000 for detention fees. The importer contacted CATERS, the Consumer Affairs and Dispute Resolution Services. It's an office within the FMC saying that they weren't receiving communications. I don't know if communications had broken down. She didn't go into much detail, but it's basically saying the importer said, look, we can't solve this. So Director De La Cruz said CATERS then helped the importer compile evidence facilitated several meetings, and the final detention was actually reduced by over 80%. So one of the things that Caters has available is alternative dispute resolution services, which is, among other things, mediation. So for commercial cargo, you can use Caters for their mediation services as one of the tools of the dispute resolution. But then Zariah, uh, Director De La Cruz, goes over the workload um, as it 
appeared in FY22 and then as it compared to FY23. So in FY22, Caters had 334 cases, which broke down to 167 commercial cargo cases and 131 passenger vessel operation cases. So these are like cruise ships. Um, FMC has a small but very important area in uh, cruises, which you may not have known. <laughs> so then workload in in uh, fiscal year 23, so 22 is 334 cases. Fiscal year 2023, which is almost cl- concluding, uh, the government work year ends uh, September 30th. October 1st is the new fiscal year. They've had 305 cases this year in fiscal year 23. 197 were commercial cargo, representing 65% of the cases. 34 were household goods issues, which is the FMC can help for the movement of household goods issues that come up. That represented 11%. And then 74 cases were passenger vessel operations, and that's 24%. Um, breaking down the commercial cargo was interesting because Director De La Cruz said that they had 79% of their cases were for imported cargo and 21% were for exported cargo. So there was also discussion after this um, where it was reiterated that compliance officers reminded that compliance officers is now a requirement. And Commissioner Dye reiterated that these individuals, these compliance officers of VOCCs, are supposed well any regulated entity really are supposed to be individuals that have direct access to the CEOs of some of these companies and so they can solve these problems. So I just had kind of a, an open question after that discussion for these compliance officers and and perhaps there is more clarity on the website but I guess my question here is if that FMC compliance officer list is something that's going to ultimately be publicly published or if that's going to remain with the FMC as a tool that the FMC has when they're contacted, when when dispute resolution is requested. Um, I, I, that could be interesting, right? Because then you kind of have, the, they're supposed to have a dispute resolution mechanisms already within the individual regulated companies. But to have that compliance officer, that FMC compliance officer to go to and listed uh, might be a good first stop. So we'll see how that uh, how that shakes out. So story number three. So that was all FMC, right? We're, we're, we had the meeting this week, but this story number three just popped up on G-Captain actually right when I was about to go live here. Um, and it was it's an interesting one. So Hopag Lloyd is rolling out Starlink internet service across all of their fleets. So Starlink is is Elon Musk's service. Um, Starlink network is an international uh, high-speed internet service, basically, and offers up to 250 megabits of bandwidth, which is helping to facilitate not only personal use, but also, as the article from G-Captain explains, enabling remote maintenance and vessel inspections, which ultimately results in cost savings and enhanced service. So Hopic Lloyd actually said that their crew members have piloted this technology. They had four pilot vessels that have been using Starling technology since May. And the company then said that they have received overwhelmingly positive feedback about seamless video calls and streaming services. So look, internet service on these vessels is not readily available right now and certainly not for the crew. But the benefits of having this high-speed internet that you could actually have video calls back to home is monumental in crew quality of life. And it also, as internet of things and, and connected devices increase on vessels, whether it's on the container for tracking or whether it's on the actual uh, bridge for for just general uh, vessel uh, connectivity, there's a lot of benefits here. 
So one of the concerns that I've heard about internet onboard vessels and certainly for access by crew is that there might be illicit uses of it, uh, you know, viruses, all of that. Um, But look, high-speed internet has been proven to boost morale and help attract and retain talent. There was a 2018 study that said just that. So look, this is really, really important, this quality of life, because mariner workforce shortage is a severe problem in the industry, and it's projected to increase if there isn't any action by the industry. So I am so encouraged to see that Hapag Lloyd is including Starlink Internet service across its entire fleet. I really think that that's going to be helpful in retaining and attracting the talent. I mean, like the 2018 study suggests, it really is. How can you, in an entire world that post-COVID is always connected, right? I mean, you you can run an entire business virtually to not have any connectivity on a vessel. And so you go out into the great beyond for months at a time, and you might get spotty connectivity once you're in port. This is going to be so crucial, so key, so so industry changing for the crew experience and the mariner experience on board these vessels. So I love to see it. I think this is going to be great. I'd love to hear your feedback, though. What do you think? Do you think that the high-speed internet should be used on vessels uh, for crew use? Do you think that that's something that's good? Or do you think that maybe the the escape, right, the 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 old escaping of of being out there on the vessel. Maybe maybe the old mariners will say, oh, we loved being able to just disconnect. Um, but I, I think that in general, as the pilot project suggests and, and found, and as the 2018 report suggests and found, um, that this is going to be a net positive. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of the day. We've already been talking for quite a while, but look, today we I want to talk about digital stuff, right? And there's two developments that I really wanted to highlight for you. I wanted to talk about electronic trade documents in the overall supply chain industry. So I'm not sure if we've actually discussed the Fit Alliance before, but it's something that's worth keeping an eye on. If you haven't been really paying attention to them, uh, the Fit Alliance, the FIT, Fit Alliance, was formed in 2022 by one, two, three, four, five different companies. And I'm going to list them here. (laughs) I had to count them real quick. So the five the five associations or, or five groups. So it's BIMCO, the Baltic and International Maritime Council, which is an international shipping association representing ship owners. DCSA, the Digital Container Shipping Association, which is a nonprofit independent organization that's on a mission to be the de facto standards body for the industry. We've talked about DCSA before. We have FIATA, the International Federation of Freight Forwarders Association, the ICC, the International Chamber of Commerce, and SWIFT, the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. You may actually be roughly familiar with SWIFT, and even if you're not, you probably are because they are in part a core reason why your credit card works when you travel abroad. So this is an alliance, right? So this is the FIT alliance. So in forming this alliance, the groups held out as being behind a mission to standardize the digitalization of international trade. So that was all 2022 when this formed. So what, what's going on recently? So the FIT alliance created the FIT alliance e-bill of lading declaration, where stakeholders can publicly signal their readiness to move toward EBL, so electronic bill of lading adoption, and digitalization more generally. So on the Fit Alliance website, you can actually enter in your information, and by signing the Fit Alliance EBL declaration, you are signaling that you, and I'm going to be reading off of the declaration here, quote, support the EBL movement and commit to collaborate to drive digitalization in international trade. They mentioned that, 
I quote, this commitment is not legally binding, but represents a shared vision for a more efficient and sustainable trade ecosystem. It continues, together we can lead the way toward a digital future powered by electronic bill of lading. So the Fit Alliance actually has some pretty good background information on what they're doing, EBL, all of that. So let me read from it. So there's already significant momentum behind EBL adoption among Fit Alliance member organizations. So both DCSA and BIMCO have received adoption commitments from key stakeholder constituents through BIMCO's 25 by 25 pledge and DCSA's 100% EBL by 2030 initiative. Some of the world's largest bulk shippers and nine of the 10 top ocean carriers have committed to switch their bills of lading to electronic bills of lading within two to seven years. Again, I'm, I'm reading verbatim off of the website here. So I'm going to continue. 26 of FIATA Association members have adopted the EFBL, which is the Electronic FIATA Bill of Lading, and have begun to distribute that to their members. So the website continues. The FIT Alliance is working to catalyze this by creating a technological and legal foundation for international trade documentation based on DCSA, BIMCO, and FIATA EBL standards all of which are aligned with the UN CFAC multimodal transport reference data model. Additionally, DCSA and SWIFT are in the process of developing EBL platform interoperability standards. So that's a lot of really great stuff, right? I mean, we're this is we're moving toward EBL and and this alliance is a lot of these, I mean, the key members, right? So there's actually a call to action for stakeholders who sign this declaration. And so the Fit Alliance suggests actions that might include, by anybody who's interested and wants to sign this declaration, adopting EBL process and data standards from Fit Alliance members, so DCSA, BIMCO, and FIATA, and use them in relevant product applications and encourage trade partners to do the same. They also suggest an action might be adopting existing EBL solutions and encourage trade partners to do the same. Thirdly, support EBL standards and development, provide feedback on standards, provide stakeholder requirements to developers, and participate in workshops, surveys, point of contacts, and pilots executed by members of the Fit Alliance. Fourth, they say participate in promotional activities. This is another thing that you can do to support. Collaborate with Fit Alliance members to promote EBL standards through marketing programs and share EBL success stories. And lastly, they say you could utilize EBL standards from Fit Alliance members in establishing new digital partnerships. So look, electronic bills of lading currently only make up less than 3% of all bills of lading out there. But that might be about to change, not only from the Fit Alliance and their work, but something happened this week, just two days ago. And there's and it's a major development that has the industry abuzz on the global level. It's the UK adoption of the electronic Trade Documents Act. It actually received royal assent on September 20th, two days ago, and made it a law in the UK. So it was funny. I was kind of looking at some of the headlines on this, and Computer Weekly actually discusses it with the headline of, and I quote, this is this is the title of the headline, the most important law you've never heard of, <laughs> the Electronic Trade Documents Act. So what does this law actually do? Look, it paves the way for digital trade documents EBLs to be afforded the same legal status as the paper ones in the UK, right? This is a UK document or a UK law. So it seems like something that may have already been permissible. Well, not exactly. So electronic bills of lading are possessive or bills of lading are possessive documents and they prove the possession of the goods that are moving. And without going too far into the specifics here and, and diving into too much of the technicalities, the US, for example, doesn't exactly have a similar law or mechanism to this new UK law. So the U.S. is working on it, certainly, but it seems 
Currently in the United States, the Uniform Commercial Code, the UCC, has begun to move this direction, but not all states have adopted the amendment relating to the electronic trade, digital trade documents, namely these electronic bills of lading. And there doesn't appear to be really an authorizing federal law in the books. I mean, not none that I've come across. And there really isn't even a foreign trade agreement that that suggests or that really specifically talks about electronic bills of lading. Although I'm all ears if somebody has come across anything here, please put it in the chat. Please put it in the comments. Um, please reach out. I'd love to have a conversation on all of this. So look, this is a big deal. This is a true concrete step toward electronic bills of lading going into mainstream industry practice through both the Fit Alliance and their work and their promotion of, of this digitalization and electronic trade documents, but also this UK Electronic Trade Documents Act is a huge step. And I hope that the other countries, I hope other countries are watching and see this as something that maybe could, should be implemented in their own country so that electronic bills of lading have more of a legal standing and acceptance and permissibility. So look, as always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes. I just wanted to kind of hit on some of these bigger topics. Go look into some of these things for yourself. There, this is a really interesting, very quickly moving area of the industry. Um, it's worth paying attention to. I'll drop little snippets here and there. I'm continuing to watch it all. I'm continuing to stay educated and, and read as much as I can on what's going on. But I encourage you to do the same. The guidance here is general and for educational purposes. It really should not be construed to be legal advice directly related to your matter. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. But if you do have specific legal questions, feel free to reach out to me at my legal company, School Strategies. Otherwise, for the non-legal questions, for the e-learning and general industry information and insights, come find me at the Maritime Professor. If you like these videos, let me know, comment, like, and share. If you want to listen to these episodes on demand or if you missed any previous episodes, check out the podcast by Landed by Sea. If you prefer to see the video, they live on my YouTube page by Landed by Sea, presented by The Maritime Professor. And while you're at it, check out the website, themaritimeprofessor.com. So until next week, this is Lauren Began, The Maritime Professor, and you've just listened to By Landed by Sea. See you next time.